It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, some very interesting, interesting news. And if you happen to be a person, I guess if you imagine yourself a self-made person with $100 million in assets, how much is too much to leave your kids. You know, Linda, it is a question that we have been facing in our office year after year after year. They're private questions always, but it's always there inside the minds of our clients. What's the best thing to do for our children? How much is too much to leave the kids? And the biggest question is, do you leave it all? Do you leave it all to your children? Because a coming intergenerational shift in wealth raises many issues for rich families, including just that. How much to give children without doing them more harm than good? That is so true. The affluent families they that they deal with um, most of this time are trying to ensure that this wealth doesn't snuff out their children's sense of purpose, their ambition, or their desire to make the world a better place. It's You know, it's clear that Most people do plan to leave the lion's share of their wealth to family members, and this is really motivated by a desire to positively influence the lives of their loved ones. But on the other hand, given the amount of wealth that's expected to be transferred to the next generation, more and more families are going to have to deal with this issue. The old rule of leave it all to my wife, and if my wife dies, it goes to my kids, the standard default in all of the wills that we saw. And I was going to say that that's what's crazy about the hundred million is it's not so hard for some families to think, well, that is what we'll probably die with. And that is the number that we really need to be thinking, well, what would destroy a child's life? That's right. That's exactly right. You just consider uh, some of the situations, some of the clients that we have where their wealth is increased because either of real estate or their 401k or uh, or just working hard, putting money aside in every client. And now these are the middle class millionaires, but they're not dead. They've still got decades ahead of them. That's right. And with any sort of reasonable growth rate, they're going to have a very, very large transfer of wealth that needs to be addressed. And in many cases, it could destroy the children's lives. So then the question really comes down to how much is too much to give your kid? Yeah, there is no magic number. But you may draw the line at when the money creates a disincentive to achieve one's full potential. 
You know, too often people think only about dollar amounts and not the impact when deciding how much to give or how much is too much to give. So there is no silver bullet answer or one size fits all approach to gifting assets. The process of meaningful, intentional giving, whether to family, friends or philanthropy, should be highly personalized. And that's what we do. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000. Or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. So often when we're looking at estate plans for our clients, we're asking the very question face-to-face, what do you want? And very often we get answers like, well, I'd like to leave it in some sort of a trust that would give them enough to really do what they want to do with their life, but not too much. So maybe we could put in some incentives, some clients say. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, uh, if they want to open up a separate business, okay, mm-hmm. but the rest of it to be kept in trust. Right. Or they want to go back and get a, a graduate degree. Right. And then leave it in trust to where uh, there's an income stream going. Right. And stage out pieces of the... Uh, That's frequently requested. Staging yes. it out at age 40, maybe mm-hmm. to get a large hunk, and then at age 45, another large hunk, mm-hmm. and at age 50, and so on. But it has to be customized and personalized because only the clients know their children. Yes, it, it definitely requires honesty, humility, and, and a willingness to face this all-important topic head-on. So at our firm at Lewis Financial Management LLC here in Raleigh, We try to help families more clearly define what they want to pass on to their children. Many families, actually, Linda, Deborah, many families, as you know, will form a foundation and have their children serve on the board of the foundation so they can get their philanthropic feet wet. The thing that high net worth people worry about is that the money is going to ruin children instead of enriching their lives. And that's really something that all of us want for our children. No matter how much money we will pass to them, for them to grow up to be productive, self-sufficient individuals, just wanting to better society. And hopefully that's what it will provide. You know, um, what we have found over the years, and and we we love our listeners, and uh, it it has been wonderful, um, all all of the folks that have come in to meet with us at Lewis Financial Management. Yeah. And if you're out there listening, whatever your checklist is, jot those questions down. Uh, it's not unusual for us to, to have folks come in and they have not even drawn up a will. That's they right. They haven't. They've been working so hard, diligently, investing in their 401k, right, right. taking care of family affairs, and... They haven't drawn up a will. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. Tom, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Oh, yes. Uh, we were just wondering. We just uh, came down from Florida for job-related reasons, and um, we were looking for houses in the uh, Raleigh area, and then we thought of maybe we can just purchase a uh, house. And um, my wife has, we, we don't have much, but my wife has a 401k. Uh, it has somewhere around $30,000 in it. Uh, could we use that uh, 401k or 
uh, as a down payment to purchase something? Or if not, what can we do with that money to actually make it grow more? Yeah, these are really good questions, Tom. First of all, uh, welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, welcome to North Carolina. Yeah, welcome to North Carolina. But but in 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 all sincerity, uh, the the worst thing you could do is to take something that has been put aside for your future financial independence in a retirement account, such as a four hundred one k, and deplete it because all assets break into two types. One we call use assets. And the other we call investment assets. Well, right now it's an investment asset. A home is a use asset. It's not an investment. A home is a it's a shelter. It keeps the warm the storm off of you. It's a place to sleep in. But it's not an investment asset. Uh, if soon as you turn around and sell it, you got to get another home. So it's never a an investment asset. So you would be taking an investment asset and converting it to a use asset, which would be self-destructive, in my opinion. Now then, the question is, what should you do with regard to the 401k? Well, you have two choices. One, leave it alone, or the other, roll it into an IRA. And I think that, uh, Deborah, I think you'd agree with me, definitely roll it into an IRA. Well, uh, did you say an old 401k, meaning she is no longer employed at the old employers? Correct. Okay. So, yes, once you terminate employment, you have the right and the privilege by IRS rules to be able to leave uh, the employer and take with you what you have set aside as untaxed income. So you now have this right to access it and move it into an IRA. Well, the I part is the individual. This is going to give you, going to give her, because it's in her name, it's going to give her the ability to create for herself her own retirement account, choose her own investment. If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Well, how, how old are you and how old is she? Um, uh, my wife is, um, 39. Okay. 39, 39 to 59, which is the, the minimum that you'd be able to access it. She has 20 years at a minimum that she could see that grow. Um, 20 years on that 30,000. There's no reason with choosing, uh, the, the right investment vehicle inside of it that you couldn't see it double in size. Now, when we talk about the specifics, I'd want to talk to you individually and off the air. But, Doug, do you have your calendar handy? I mean, you're a calculator? Yeah, I was just looking. You know, there she's so young that if we talk about another 25 years, she's only going to be, what, 65 years old? Correct. We're talking about close to $200,000 if it grows at 7%. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. So, to deprive yourself of $200,000... Uh, You'll be, never buy back those years to compound right. even so, the $30,000. Right. But now the question is, after you roll it out of the 401k and into an IRA, we need to remember that the 401k is what we call a chicken, chicken house. house. And an IRA is what we call a chicken, chicken house because the chicken in our illustration is the investment, not the house. That's right. And the wolf is the IRS, IRS that would like to eat the chickens. So as long as you're chickens, the 30,000, are in a chicken house, the wolf cannot eat them. However, you want to roll your chickens to another chicken house called an IRA and select certain kinds of chickens. 
Well, what you don't want. You don't want things like index funds. You well, don't want let's things... Let's simple. You don't want cash. You don't you want, want cash. A, you really want an investment. Right. And you want to f- choose an investment that's going to have a historical... Um, uh, something you can you can track and see. Who are the managers? What was the return over the past 10 years? You right. want to choose these managers. Right. So that's the first thing. I would definitely say do it that way. Do an IRA rollover and go into an IRA custodian where they allow you to select whatever mutual funds you want by looking at the managers, the track record, the historical performances, and on that basis, make your move. On the other side, on the house side, again, I would not be buying a house right now. I'd be renting a house because if you rent, you immediately have no debt. And that's a very nice position to be in. And you get the same use out of it. Nobody on the same street that rents a house or is buying a house They all look like the same house. People have the same protection from the elements, but you get the same use out of it without any debt. So that that, that would be my approach. Now, if you have any other questions, by the way, Tom, jot our number down and go to our website also. Our website has been recently redesigned. We've been getting a lot of feedback this past week from clients and from listeners who say they really like the new website because it has videos of Linda speaking, of myself speaking, of Deborah speaking, and a lot of information. So the website is DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com, and write our number down, and we'll be happy to set up an appointment to meet with you. The number at the office is... 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Okay, very good. So, Tom, did we answer your question? Is there anything else we can help you with tonight? Oh, you guys were very helpful. Great. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being a listener. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug and Deborah, uh, some folks have questions regarding their mutual funds. And there is this term... Capital gains distri- distribution. What what exactly is capital gains? Yeah, well, let's start with what is a capital gain. So when an investor sells a capital asset, such as a stock or a bond, for more than that what they purchased it for, the investor experiences a capital gain. Or, in other words, they make a profit. So if a stock is purchased for, let's say, $100 and then later sold for 120 the capital gain would be $20. Now, the same thing happens with a mutual fund. So when a mutual fund sells securities at a profit, the sale also creates a capital gain. So knowing exactly what a capital gain is, is useful because mutual funds produce capital gains distributions. I want to answer more about this question of capital gains distributions of mutual funds, but I've got a caller calling in. So uh, ladies, Deborah, Linda, I think we should take Brent's call. Uh, Brent, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Yes, sir. I'm I'm self-employed. I have about 200... I have a SEP, uh, SEP, a SEP. Yes, sir. That I set up about close to 15, well, probably been 20 years now. Um, Obviously, it's grown. I put in a set amount each month. It's about uh, $250,000 in there now. But it's with a, uh, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to say their name, but it's with a, 
an insurance company. All right. That I set it up a long time ago. Uh, I don't know what the fees are. Uh, I guess I could find out, but I never have. And it's growing, and it's grown. I made it through the big bump and, you know, didn't touch it. And I'm not planning on touching it. I'm 47 years old. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. Um, I also have um, about forty, about $50,000 in a mutual fund uh, through another, uh, can I say their name? Or sure, no problem. You can say, I can't say. That's the only rules. Okay. I'm not allowed to, to say, but you can say. Well, the, that's through, the mutual funds are through USAA. All right. Um, and I, I'm sad, I'm very satisfied with them. Um, I, again, I don't know what my fees are, and I can find out, but just listening to your show, I'm thinking, you know, am I, am I paying something for something that, all right, let's 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 move the, let's move the discussion along to get to some hard questions because I want to give you some hard answers. Okay, my hard my hard questions are, as I said, I'm 47. Got you. Employed. I will continue to work probably past 60. I'm married. Um, I have a mortgage. Um, is, I, is your I wife work? Is your wife working, Brent? No. All right. So you're the you're the sole wage earner. Any children at home? Yes, I have uh, two girls and I. All right. A- ages uh, of your girls? They're under six. All right. And uh, have you accumulated anything else other than the two hundred and fifty thousand in your SEP IRA and the fifty thousand in your mutual fund? No, I have about. Probably forty thousand in my checking account. All right. Now, tell me a little bit about your income, and then we can go to some uh, some questions. Either you form formulate them, or I'll throw them at you, and we'll get them out of you. But what's your income? Uh, well, it used to be a lot more. Now it's about one hundred fifty thousand dollars. About one hundred fifty thousand a year. That's net after the expenses of your business. Uh, yeah, between that, between it depends on the year. So, right. You know. I guess the average would probably be 120. Okay. All right. And do you have any idea what your living expenses are uh, to support your family? A month? Yeah, a month. Um, with mortgage, uh, probably looking at about five or six. All right. So six times seven be 72. How about uh, the non-monthly expenses, including your vacation clothing? What do you think it costs to take care of your family over the year? That's You just gave us between 60 and 72,000. I would say the rest of it I'm trying to put back when I can. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that's good. That's good because you're, you're, you are the type of individual which we call uh, feast or famine entrepreneurs, Money goes up, money goes down. You don't know what's coming in, but it's good that you've got such goals. I'm very proud of you, by the way, at 47 years old, that you have been able to accumulate what you have. That's that's very admirable. More importantly is you have another 30 years easily in front of you, and that gives you the ability to accumulate a very high amount of wealth. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. 
So let's see if we can get your first question. First question would be, I'm using um, a insurance company that I've used, you know, since I set up the set um, through an agent that, that came to me 20 years ago. And I, I have changed. Obviously, I can go in and change where um, what stocks. Question, I'm, question, question. I need a question, Brent. Is your I think your I think your question is is that the proper the proper right. way to approach it? Is that your question? My question is: Am I wasted money using a third, 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 third middleman? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. We have to come back to, and uh, I hope I'm not stepping on your insurance agent's toes, but an insurance company is legally a company that deals in what we call risk, risk transfer. transfer. Risk transfer is where you have a risk that you're afraid of and you transfer that risk to a company called an insurance company and they understandably are going to make a profit on you for taking that risk away from you. That's got nothing to do with the world of investments. That is insurance. So the individual you're dealing with works for a risk transfer company and then the products that they offer generally are going to be wrapped with fees to cover the cost of people dying who are not you. That's the way insurance companies work. So, yes, for a number of reasons, you don't want to be using an insurance company for the custodian for your SEP IRA. I have to give you a little, you don't mind me spanking you a little bit, a little rebuke here saying... Well, I, I can I can I can already feel the pain. All right, all right, okay, Brent. I just want to say there's no reason any investor should be able to say I don't know what my fees are. Uh, that is not excuse. All right, okay, that's not excusable because we always feel in our office we begin every meeting with every client opening up every single fee that either they will be subjected to or voluntarily want to pay for different types of things you always need to know. So that's the first question. Second, Second question, question is, yes. what is my escape route? Our, your escape route is very nice. The Internal Revenue <laughs> Service question. Yeah, the Internal Revenue Service gives you a very nice escape route. First of all, as I said, we talk about investments being chickens because it's a nice illustration, because chickens give off eggs, investments give off income. So chickens, the principal, eggs, the income. Then we have a chicken house, such as a SEP IRA. Anything that can protect the income from being taxed yet. And even the principal. And even the principal. That's Everything right. that's in the chicken house can be rolled to another chicken house. That is the escape route that the IRS provides for you. You can move from chicken house to chicken house whenever you want, tax-free and without charges. So, what you want, you want to find an independent custodian Correct. for your SEP IRA. Number two, you want that custodian to allow you to choose any investments you want, any chickens you want. You can want to be able to go to the world of mutual funds, to go to the world of REITs, to go to the world of investments and select whatever you and your financial advisor choose. Of course, that's where we come in very often. We help you go to the world and find right. what's out there. So to answer your question, yes, you have an escape route. It's to change the custodian. It's a tax-free event. We can help you do that. Call us during, actually call me um Stay on the line afterwards, but 919-872-7000 and go ahead and leave your information and we can help you do that. Now, part number two. He's got another question. No, well, I was going to say, okay, obviously I, I am, I am, I'm more 
I'm working hard to make my money, and I'm not working for my money, obviously, because I don't know the answers to the questions I'm asking. Because I'm out there doing what I do to make the money, right? So, so, and you said it's a, it, so. Is this like a, a a very smooth transition? I call you, you say, give me your account numbers. I mean, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Part that of would, it that would is be unethical. the education, isn't isn't that? Right, Doug, because, you yeah. know, you're, uh, you know, we commend you because you've been diligently working all these years and your wife's been taking care of the household and the, and the children. So we have a we have a, a partnership, so to speak. But what you need is education, sound advice and answers to your question. Our procedure has been as follows. You establish an appointment to meet with us. We tell you to send up to send us ahead of the meeting five items, which we call the five keys. Number one item, number one key is a list of everything you own and everything you owe. For some people, it looks like a financial statement. It can be the back of the napkin, but it's all your assets and all your debts. Uh, Key number two, your tax return for the past year. And here it would be both personal and the business tax return. Correct. That's key number two. Key number three is a list of your expenses, your living expenses. And here we send you a form to help you fill out what you think your expenses are in all the different areas. Key number four, we have you send to us a statement showing what is your projected income for the coming year. Which is really important for self-employed folks. That's right. All right. And then for some people, key number five, which would not be you, would be a most recent pay stub. But With those five items in our office and with you on the calendar, then as Linda said, you come to the meeting with a list of all the questions you want answered and we educate and we answer every question and we do all of the all the education. And only after that meeting, if you decide to proceed with us and you're comfortable, then we start doing the implementing of the the different things like the rollover. There's two things you should be doing, by the way. You've only talked about the one. There's another one I want to tell you that you should be doing. But that first piece of doing the IRA rollover from one SEP custodian to another, that would only be after you're comfortable that we as fiduciaries are giving you the advice, which is in your best interest, not our best interest. Then the second item that I think you should be doing for your future is you should be doing what we call a pay yourself first plan because you do have at your income level, at your young age, and with your accumulation thus far, you have the ability to accumulate a number of millions of dollars. Yes, you do. And we have many clients that have gone through the the stages from their 40s to the 50s to the 60s the 70s, and we have some who are now already in their late 80s and moving into 90 now. So, Well, see, that's why I call. So this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. I, I love talking to 40-some-year-olds because they are, they're the best ones. They see the big 5-0 coming up, and at the same time, they've got enough years to compound. To really, that's right. To really have impact. So, so the SEP helps us on one pa- one pocket on our pair of pants, you know, for thinking about all everything we own. The other side that Doug's referencing is personal assets, assets outside of retirement accounts. 
So we'll, we'll address both. And for that meeting, we do not recommend you buy anything. There's no sales pitch or anything. You're buying advice. For that meeting, you'll be paying us an hourly fee, and we don't talk about our fees on the air, but I will tell you, you'll be very comfortable. It's a straight hourly fee that we charge you for advice, and only after you're comfortable, then do we proceed uh, to the next step, however you want to go. Yes, and, and you know... I don't want to send a plug, but that's exactly what Clark Howard said. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> that's okay. He said, get to see only advice. <laughs> well, right. we have really enjoyed your call today, Brent. And, yeah, let me see if, if Brent's got anything else he wants to throw at us while we're while, while we got him live on the air. Well, I, I, I do have one more. Uh, yeah. I have, a, I have a business partner, and I, would that affect if, you know, we have the step? And I don't know. No, it does not. Well, I shouldn't say. I should say it. Let me. It can. It can be done either way because the SEP is established by the employer for the employee, and you are both an employee and the employer, as is your partner. Yes, that's right. And we have a number of clients who are in exactly the same situation. Yes, and and one of the things that we do, Brent, is you know if you're. in a business, any business planning questions that you might have about your business, feel free to write those questions down. And then when you and your wife come in as a couple, we'll go over all of this and we'll review what is your financial statement. And, you know, we'll look at is it an LLC, is it an S Corp, et cetera. And what is the best fit for you in your situation based on? on what your goals, your objectives, and your needs are currently and for the future. Okay, well, thank you very much. Give us a call. We'll get your phone number. We'll set up in a meeting to meet with you. I'm looking forward to meeting with you, Brent. Yes, sir. I'm a very good-looking man. (laughs) (laughs) If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well, earlier we were having a little discussion about what is capital gain. And a second question to ask about capital gain uh, distribution um, FAQs is, why do mutual funds pay capital gain distributions? Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, situation to uh, to focus on, Linda, because many, many people in the United States now, millions and millions and millions of them, have mutual funds, but they don't really understand the taxation and what's happening there. We have to understand, first of all, a mutual fund is a corporation. That's Legally, right. it is a corporation. And as any corporation, whether it be IBM, AT&T, or General Electric, any corporation makes a profit. The mutual fund is called an open-ended investment corporation. And so what it has as a, like IBM might be making computers, the mutual fund is a corporation that handles money and makes profits by buying and selling investments. The difference between the traditional corporation like IBM, IBM pays taxes on its profits and what's left over goes out to the shareholders, and they pay tax on their dividends. The mutual fund is a corporation that when it makes profits, such as the one that you mentioned earlier, where you buy a stock and sell it, where the mutual fund buys a stock and sells a stock for a profit, they do not pay tax on that. That profit is not taxed. It 
is passed out to the shareholders. That's right, Doug, because the, the, the nature of a mutual fund is going to be a pass-through entity. So a profit or a loss is going to be passed through to the shareholder. So let's say the mutual fund uh, has bought or sold, has bought something and sold it for a profit. Then their capital gains and the IRS wants to be paid, but it's not paid by the mutual fund company. It's passed through and paid by the shareholder. But what that means is that there's more to go out to the shareholder. It avoids the corporate tax. So this taxation is passed through to the shareholder. Normally, it's going to be capital gain long term, hopefully. But then the question is, when the mutual fund sells its holding, it receives profits, capital gains from the result from the sale. They then are required by law to distribute virtually all of their gains to the shareholders in these capital gain distributions. And they may occur once or twice a year, some of them quarterly. Well, if you have watched this happen, you've noticed the value of your mutual fund drops. Yes. So is that a negative to us, Doug? It is not a negative. Fund managers who buy and sell investments throughout the year, sometimes at a profit, sometimes at a loss, when those profits outweigh the the losses, they accumulate, they contribute to the rise of the net asset value of the mutual fund shares. And when that profit is paid out to shareholders as a capital gain distribution, its net asset value, we call that the NAV, will be reduced by the amount of the distribution. So that doesn't sound bad yet. So take out a pen and paper, write down our number. It's 919-872-7000. Hold on to that pen and paper and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about. In a sense, it is bad to many people when they see, gee, my value of my fund just dropped on my share. That sounds bad. That's right. (laughs) But that doesn't necessarily mean the investors are losing money because the investors can either take those capital gain distributions in cash or reinvest them, which is what most investors do. And if the capital gains are simultaneously paid out and reinvested, then the number of shares in the account will increase, even though the net asset value per share has dropped and the value of your fund doesn't change at all. So that's really what's happening. So, Debs, we were talking about this earlier that depending on the need of the client, they're either going to be taking the distribution or not. That's right. right? That's right. Explain I mean, that. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, as you're accumulating, you want these distributions to be reinvested because they're buying you more shares. Yes, you have to pay taxes on it, but if you don't receive it, it's actually going back in and buying more shares. So over time, you're actually increasing your shares, which are going to be increasing the amount of of interest that's compounding. I mean, everything goes up in value. Well, one day you have to take money out, whether it's a systematic withdrawal or you have this other option that Linda and I were talking about, which is you can take this distribution as income. And you get taxed on it as income. So some one day down the road, you might need it as as income. So let's let's do a hypothetical. Let's say that you're a, a widow and you're getting close to 70 or let's say you're 65 and your spouse has passed away well they're the age are you going to need to take that income well they're the age doesn't matter really you're going to you're you're going to design 
either either taking just distributions or having those distributions reinvested. So there you're going to work closely with the financial planner and say, well, if I need more income, that is an income source that I could absolutely receive from. Very good. You know, and on the other hand, if you don't need it, you're yeah. just reinvesting. And what happens? Yeah, you're buying more shares, Linda. And exactly. I think that's in, that's an important thing to realize that no two clients are the same. Yeah. Uh, even no two widows are the same. We have both kinds in our office. Right. Some, they want the income to live off of. So now their choice is, do I live off my capital gain distributions or do I live off my dividend or do I go ahead and do systematic withdrawals? That means part of my money is going to be tax-free as it comes out to me because it's return of principal. So each situation is different. But the beauty of the capital gain distributions is the decision is made by the client. That's right. And and that's a huge difference, just, um, you know, security by security. Call us at Lewis Financial Management, LLC, in Raleigh. We're in the triangle. If you if this situation sounds like yours or you're needing a second opinion on your portfolio or your situation, we would love to meet with you and set up an appointment. That number to call in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi. We're in our middle 50s, and we're about to make an appointment to either have a living trust or a will, and I don't know the difference between them. What would be the best for us? Now, you say that you're getting ready to have a meeting with the financial planner? Well, no, with the lawyer. We really need to have something set up because our adult kids really don't know what we have, and we just need to have the difference between a living trust and a will. Right. I can help you understand a little bit, but I, my first advice is don't meet with the attorney first. Meet with a certified financial planner that will educate you on how it ties together everything that you've got and then go to the attorney next. It will cost you much less that way. Is that right? Yes, because so many times I see clients coming to me with unfunded living trust and I ask them, why would you do it? And they say, well, my attorney said I should do it. I say, well, wonderful. You realize you've got a toothless dog here. You created a trust, but it's not going to do a single bit of good for you because the benefits that you're expecting to get from it won't happen unless it's been funded. Well, the attorney never told me about funding them, and the attorney generally doesn't do the funding and so forth. So I would recommend that you meet with a fee-based certified financial planner. That's someone who you're going to pay a fee for. He's not going to try and sell you anything. But he will go in and look at your assets. There are many cases that, where you don't need a living trust and many cases that you do. There are many attorneys that don't like living trust because it cheats them out of fees later on. Uh, that's the view of some attorneys. And there are many who feel that it's the best thing there is. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Now, to give you some quick little down and dirty pieces of information so that I haven't failed to answer your question. A living trust is generally revocable, which means that you can change your mind anytime between now and the time you die. It has two sections to it generally. One section deals with the things that you want to happen during your lifetime. Those are called the living provisions. And then you have the testamentary provisions or what you want to do happen at your death. And that's the same thing as a will. So it's got two provisions in there. Obviously, a will has nothing to do with your during your lifetime, but a living trust has two parts. It functions both during your lifetime and at your death. The IRS tells you that the revocable living trust has no taxable benefit to you whatsoever. 
because you can change your mind. But the reason people very often want a revocable living trust is that it avoids the cost of probate at death because if you put everything you own in the name of this revocable living trust while you're alive, then at the time you die, you personally didn't own anything. This trust owned everything, and so there's nothing to go through probate, and all of the fees that you would generally pay an attorney to probate your estate are avoided. That's one reason people like revocable living trust. Another reason people like revocable living trust is that at death, you know how there's very often a nine-month delay to go through the probate process? Right. Well, there's no delay. Anything that's in the trust can be distributed immediately according to the provisions in the trust. A third reason people like revocable living trust are confidentiality. At the time that you die, only the stuff that you own personally, in other words, only things that are not owned by this trust, are in the newspaper or available for public disclosure. Trust assets are never available to the public knowledge. Another reason that people like revocable living trust, probably one of the most important reasons that I recommend them for my senior citizens, is in the sake of incapacitation. If you don't die, but you get disabled, if you get paralyzed, you don't have to use a power of attorney to, or a person doesn't have to have a power of attorney to continue to administer your assets, to take things from your investments, to pay your medical bills, and so forth. Those are the reasons people want a revocable living trust. The differences between a revocable living trust and a will are basically the lifetime provisions. In other words, the what if I'm incapacitated? What if I'm disabled? There are obviously no, nothing like that in a will because a will doesn't start happening until you die. But a revocable living trust starts happening today. But the other thing you need to understand is all people don't need revocable living trust and all assets can't go into revocable living trust such as your retirement accounts and your IRAs. And then there's the question of, do you want one revocable living trust for the two of y'all, or do you want separate ones? Uh, really, you need to meet with a financial planner who can go over your assets. He's got to see everything. The, right. attorney, the attorney doesn't look at your assets. You, you need to understand that. When you meet with the attorney, you won't bring him copies of all your bank accounts and copies of your brokerage funds and all of that. But when you meet with the financial planner, yes, he wants to see everything that you own. So he can then get a picture and tell you whether he thinks it's worthwhile for you to pay the additional cost to have sure. a revocable living trust produced. Now, we've moved 19 times all over the country, that's and an, we never know if we're going to move again. That's another reason that many people like revocable living trust. That's a very good reason that people choose revocable living trust is because the probate process at death, if you die tomorrow and you own things in different states, very often, you've got to go through probate in each of those states if you own it in, uh, outright. But if you own it in revocable living trust, you don't. I see. You see, each one of these issues is a question that really needs to be outlined much more in detail in front of a financial planner. Sure. Does, does that help you at all to get yeah, started? That's that's great. Some attorneys are excellent estate attorneys. And I, I know some really top estate planning attorneys. Others say they're estate attorneys, but they've got a little software package that you push a button and it prints out a will and fill in and makes it makes them look like, but they, they really are not estate attorneys. Mm. Uh, and the financial planner can help you evaluate the competency of an attorney. There's one brochure that I have that I'd be happy to send to you about estate planning. And if you'd like to call the office in Raleigh, it's 872-7000. That's USA 7000. I'll be happy to mail it to you. Okay. Well, okay. That sounds just absolutely wonderful. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you so much for calling. Bye. Goodbye now. 
Well, Doug, Linda, there are lots of ways to retire. And if you're lucky and you get you, uh, you know, meet with an advisor, ways to retire early. The word retirement and the number 65 are as linked in the American psyche as bacon and eggs. Now, retiring early might sound like an unattainable goal. And that's especially true if you look at the challenge from a pure cash paradigm. But there are many ways to make it. And yes, although 65 is usually the standard, there are a few financial moves you can make to achieve this goal. And Doug, I'm, can you give us number one? What would be a good piece of advice? Well, the difference between a money manager and a financial planner such as who we are is we always start with the needs. And so you want to go ahead and start with your living expense needs. Now, if you're in the pre-retirement years, you want to live maybe two or three times below your means. Simply put, uh, it's not as easy as saying, well, I'll just skip that extra $4 latte in the morning. That's not going to make it. It takes much more of a disciplined analysis. And then when the analysis is there, it actually becomes pretty simple. And the analysis that I like to use in our office is to start with what are your we call them the RMEs. Right. What are your recurring monthly, monthly expenses. expenses? Once we know the RMEs, then from there, we want to go ahead and establish an automatic pay yourself first plan, meaning an automatic investment. Right. And then after that automatic investment is happening every month, from there, we go to let's spend the discretionary stuff. You don't have to. It's discretionary. And Doug, if you with, take that vacation, take that cl- right. extra clothing to buy all the little goodies, you may or may not, but you make the decision, what about my retirement? I was going to say, with a plan, then you are able to live two or three times below your mean. How about redefining things? What should we redefine when we talk about retirement? Well, a lot of people, they have their idea that when we retire, we're going to have uh, two homes, one here and one at the beach. Well, instead of owning two homes, for example, why not just redefine that you'd like to have one for vacation, one for your primary residence, and maybe rent your vacation home instead of buying that vacation home? Then what, you don't have all the liability of that's property right. insurance. And, you know, if it's at the beach, then you have to worry about the hurricanes and damage and it's, you know, someone robbing the place. That's et right. That's right. Let's just redefine what we want. That's right. It's not live without. Just redefine what you want. How about investing early and aggressively? This is probably some of our most powerful and frequently used advice. It really is. Because if you're in your 20s and you start investing now, you are in luck. Due to the power of compounding, the very first dollar saved is the most important dollar. It's got the most growth potential over time. Take $10,000 saved at age 25 If a 25-year-old lets it grow for 40 years, the difference between a 65-year-old who invests $10,000 until he's 65, he only has five years of growth potential. So the earlier you start, the more the magic of compounding. So if you have a question about retirement planning, income during retirement, sources of income, call during the week. Our number is 919-872-7000. Make an appointment to sit down, review what you've accumulated so far. And uh, this will give you the best sense of knowing that you're on track and ready for retirement. 
works. I have, um, as you know, five nephews and a niece. I do. And my eldest nephew asked me uh, today as we were driving in the car, Aunt Deborah, if I wanted to open up my first mutual fund, of course, I teared up at that point. How would you would you be able to help me? And I'm sitting there thinking he's 13 years old, 50 years of, of appreciation that would make such a difference in his own life. And we know that. So when you get your first job in your 20s, you, you know, set that aside. That is very powerful. How about married couples, Linda? How about them in regard to their 401ks? Well, married couples, they play retirement account matchmaker. The wisdom of taking advantage of a company match on the 401k, well, it's well established. But think about how that power is accelerated if a working couple does it with two such company matches. So if your employer has a matching contribution inside your company's plan, you should make sure that you always contribute at least enough to receive it. So you're essentially leaving money on the table if you don't. Right, right. Doug, what's another? Uh, yeah, yeah. there is another one that I, that I want to bring to the attention. An, an, another one of the ways to retire early, and that's to practice sound cash flow management. The methodology is simple, but the results can be profound. Put money at least monthly into a systematic investment During your working years, there's no other element of investment planning or portfolio management that's more essential over the long term. Get it happening. Exactly. It's it's what we call pay yourself first investment. And that's what I was thinking that might help Brent in his situation. You know, the earlier a person starts, actually, the better. Millennials who kick off retirement accounts early they will reap big rewards later. You take a 25-year-old who socks away $4,000 a year for just 10 years. Okay. If he has been able to achieve a 10% return, he's going to accrue more than $1 million by the time he or she turns 65. That's, that's just $4,000 a year for 10 years. And that's that's the power of starting early. That's right. And that's that's those are the young people who come into our office who make the first appointment in the 30s and 40s and who now after 20 years are looking back and saying, "Wow, look at what I've accomplished. It I've re- become a middle-class millionaire." That's right. They say it really worked. It really worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, Linda, give us our last tidbit of information here. All right, don't let your money sit idle. Right. So, to get to an early retirement, You have to periodically revisit your IRA, revisit your 401k, or any other retirement account that you have to make sure that your money doesn't grow cobwebs. For example, the way your retirement account is diversified shouldn't be that you're putting too much emphasis on low-yield investments, such as money market funds and low-yielding bonds. Dividends can pile up in the money market account, so make sure that your cash is invested properly. Work with a certified financial planner, and at Lewis Financial Management, we can assist you in answering the questions that you have about your financial situation and looking at what you need to be doing on your checklist to achieve the goals 
the um, they give you the ability to retire. I mean, you really have to have a plan. If you want to get somewhere, you need a roadmap. If you want to get to retirement, here are some real helpful tips. If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Now, Doug, Linda, we have just a few more minutes. There was something very interesting in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Uh, It's about this thing called family limited partnerships. Doug, can you tell us what this is all about? Yeah, the IRS is aiming really strong. The Internal Revenue Service is taking aim at the way that wealthy families value certain assets that they want to pass along to their heirs. These are called the family limited partnerships, and they've been used a long time to help family-owned businesses be passed to younger generations. Well, it sounds pretty powerful. Well, it is. It is. But they've also been used in recent years to pass down portfolios of investments, publicly traded securities at a discount, something which the IRS does not like and is looking to end. So in a typical situation, a typical arrangement, a family limited partnership is set up by the husband and the wife to own, whether it be a business or securities that they expect is going to increase in value over time. Then the couple acts as the general partner to this partnership and makes gifts of limited partner interest to their children. The gifts are removed from the couple's estate for estate tax purposes, even though the couple is retaining control of the assets because they are the general partners. Okay. Well, a key appeal of this strategy is that the combined value of the limited partner interest is discounted seriously. But the IRS recently had a case where they were asked to approve a 70% discount, they came back and said 38%, cut it in half. So family limited partnerships are being looked at. Call us if you are in that situation at Lewis Financial Management. I think we're out of time because I hear the music. (laughs) Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.